Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you've enjoyed that international break. That was fun, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I guess it was if you were Danish or Australian or Swiss, not Irish or Northern Irish or, or from Honduras. And whoever else won in the playoffs, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying too much attention. But we're here now, and we're getting ready for a period of the season where there are no more interlulls. It's annoying, isn't it? You start the season, there's an interlull at the start of September. Then you get going again, there's an interlull in October. You get going again, an interlull in November. Well, that's it. There are no more interlulls until next year, maybe March, uh, at some point when uh, stuff gets going again for the World Cup. So between now and March, it's all Arsenal all the way. Sounds like a a tagline for an Arsenal radio station. All Arsenal all the way. Uh, As good as that might be or as bad as that might be, that is what we face. Just... Arsenal game after Arsenal game after Arsenal game with these players, with this manager, with with everything that's going on. And who knows? It could go up. It could go down. It could go like on a fairly flat trajectory. I'm not saying I don't know. I can't tell the future, but it is what it is. And we're going to have to strap in, buckle up and get ready for whatever the hell comes our way. We've got a North London derby this weekend. There are always games which make your stomach churn a little bit, aren't they? And uh, this particular one, given what's at stake, given the the uh, current Premier League table. It's one which, uh, you know, it could pick us all back up again. We could feel happy and elated and delighted and excited, or it's one that could send us into a, a a whirlpool of misery and despair and unhappiness, or, you know, we could draw. And that would be just like, yeah, yeah draw against Tottenham. That was like, well, at least we didn't lose. Yeah. But... Uh, It could go the other way, or the other way, as I just said. And uh, with me in a few minutes' time to talk about the North London Derby uh, is Ian Wright. We'll be chatting about that and some other stuff as well with Ian. We'll have some uh, further analysis of the game with uh, Clive Palmer a bit later on also. You might know Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast. Uh, We'll be chatting a bit more about the the game and what the manager might do in terms of his team. And uh, as well as that, as well as that, my voice is breaking. Isn't that lovely? After 449 episodes of the Arsecast, my voice has finally broken. I, I'm going to sound like a big boy. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, look, uh, the other thing I wanted to tell you was that on this show, we have got prizes to give away. Prizes galore. Well, we've got one prize, but we've got five of them. So that is, that's prizes and you know, I, at what point does prizes become prizes galore? Is 
two prizes. I don't think that's prizes galore. Three, that's a few prizes, but anything over three, I think, is a galore of prizes. So we have got a galore of prizes for you. We've got copies of Jens Lehmann's autobiography to give away. It's uh, released this week. It's called Jens Lehmann, My Autobiography, The Madness is on the Pitch which is a good name. In fairness, you know, it kind of suits him, but I've got to give a shout-out to uh, Joe Poole on Twitter, who is at uh, BB's blog, and he said, why, oh, why isn't the new Jens book called In Layman's Terms? I think it probably should have been. That is a wasted opportunity, and uh, I, I think that's a fantastic punnery there from, from Joe. But it's not called that. It's called The Madness is on the Pitch, and we will have copies of that to give away, as well as some, some extracts, including this one, which uh, I, have to, <laughs> I have to say, I read this and was like, this is, this is amazing. I'm not saying it's good amazing. I'm just saying it is actually amazing. This is Jens Lehmann talking about his focus the night before Germany played Argentina in the 2006 World Cup quarterfinal. He says, Upstairs I phoned my wife, but whenever she cut into a topic with which I could not be bothered, the children's upbringing, for example, (laughs) I told her now was not the time and that the match the next day was more important. When she still would not let up, I played my best argument. You'll have to shelve this. I need to go to sleep now for Germany. That finally made an impact. I I love this. A a topic with which I could not be bothered. The children's upbringing, for example. I mean, (laughs) uh, you probably should be bothered about that, Jens. I mean, I know your focus is on the game, but those are still important things. I mean, I'm sure once the World Cup was over, he was very focused on that, and he could be bothered with it, but just uh, it's uh, it's an interesting turn of phrase. And, of course, he talks about his uh, relationship with Manuel Almunia. It was, a, it was a, a, a strained relationship, I think it would be fair to say. Jens didn't take kindly to being left out of the team for Almunia, and you can kind of understand why that's the case. They came to uh, an understanding, I think, a little bit later when, when Jens returned. They were a bit more... Uh, you know, friendly, but during that particular period, you could you can remember those games where uh, Almunia would make a mistake and the camera, the TV camera, would immediately cut to Lehman on the bench sitting there going, what a cunt, fucking hell. I mean, how is that wanker getting a game ahead of me? I, I just... I just don't understand this. So we've got an exclusive. This is exclusive to the Arscast and to Arsblog, and thank you to the publishers for uh, letting us do this. An extract from the audiobook version of Jens Lehmann, The Madness is on the Pitch. It's not actually read by Jens himself, but by one of Britain's most beloved and uh, well-known Shakespearean actors, Quentin Quimberbatch. This is him talking about a little incident between Jens Lehmann and Manuel Almunia. Once, though, we did clash properly, ultimately due to a triviality in a training game. I moved towards a cross. Nicholas Bentner went up using his elbow and headed the ball into my goal. The assistant manager, however, indicated a free kick, prompting my friend Almunia to shout all the way across the pitch, Hey, that was no free kick, that was a regular goal! When the match was over, I went up to him. Listen, when something's happening at my end, you're not to yell at the back. That was when all his rage broke out of him. What do you want, bastardo? He said. What are you saying? I shot back. Why are you insulting me? 
Shut the fuck up, bastardo, came the reply. Ah, ah, at least now you're openly saying what you really think of me, I said. This is your true character. Insulting colleagues. By now, the other players and the boss had noticed our argument and tried to calm us down, having to positively restrain Almunia so that he would not smack me. I, of course, would have welcomed him losing control, since that would have meant getting rid of a rival. Unfortunately, he cooled down again. That is a genuine extract from the Jens Lehmann book, and there's something quite magical, isn't there, about the idea of Manuel Almunia calling Jens Lehmann bastardo multiple times on the training ground. Anyway, stick around. We've got a question for you a bit later on. Uh, We'll give you a chance to win one of five copies of the Jens Lehmann book between now and the end of the show. But with me now to discuss the upcoming derby against Tottenham and lots more besides, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show the one and only Ian Wright. Hi there. How are you doing, Andrew? I am all right. You looked like you had a great time at the uh, premiere of uh, 89, the film. I guess it's impossible not to, right? It's, it's an amazing, it's just an amazing film. Dicko's done brilliantly. I've I've been in and around Dicko for the last eight, eight months, nine, ten months. He's been trying to get it together. Mm. Seven of those was getting Michael Thomas involved, <laughs> <laughs> trying to find Mumbles, trying to get Mumbles involved was a nightmare. But like, uh, Michael had such a great time. And mm. when you watch it, I, I've got to say, I don't want to do any spoilers, but God, you're a bloody spoil that fucking show. <laughs> but the fact is, is that when the way they do the goal, Andrew, and I remember mm. exactly where I was in my living room drinking Foster's, like I say, it is absolutely magnificent. It just, it just, the ears stand up and mm. George Graham's just brilliant in it. I'm so pleased that he's getting some form of recognition somewhere along the line, you know, to yeah. everybody seems to forget him. So I'm really pleased that um, he's getting that little recognition and how brilliant he was. Um, in that on that particular night, it's sure. just a fan. You know what? In a time where there's not really too much to look forward to, it's you might, like I, you know, you might as well look at the past. Is so amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, it, must, it was amazing. Uh, and you know, obviously, uh, people have this idea. I think that when you know you're part of a team, you all kind of stay in touch, and everybody sees each other all the time. Yeah. And that's not the case because people have busy lives, and you know, it is hard, as you say, to get everyone uh, together. But yeah. uh, you know, what was yeah. it like there to to have George, Tony, Adam, Steve Bold, Lee Dixon, Michael Thomas, you- all these guys in the in the one space again? I'm sure it doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. No, I, I, although I'm, me, me, Lee Dixon, Tony, and Dave Seaman are very, very regular. We see each other right. quite regularly. Uh, but like in respect of the in, in in respect of everybody else in the main, you don't see everybody as much. But when you get together, Andrew, it literally just reverts back to just taking the piss and <laughs> doing what you used to do. You know, just talking about how much weight someone's put on or what they wear. It just turns into childish shit like yeah. we normally do. So it's um, it's just brilliant being around the guys and and what happens is, is that people always talk about when you are retired and you, you miss the dressing room, you miss the banner, you miss being around um, the guys. I miss the guys all yeah. the time. You know, I miss the guys so much. What was it like with George? Was there like, a, oh, oh, here's the headmaster <laughs> again? <laughs> well, the thing about George is that, um, like like Lee Dixon says, you're all, he, he, he was a very much... <clears throat> 
as very strict and he was a very strict headmaster if we're talking about headmasters and how strict they are he was unbelievably strict but there was something in him where you could you could fight but i remember my first game um, was leicester leicester away and all the time i remember david rocas with us so he always used to tell me about how george was so frightening and everybody was scared of george and i remember leicester we, we was playing and he came in at half time andrew and this is my first this is my mm. first time sitting with the guys because i literally just signed we got there and this is the first time being in the dressing room with them and like um, he said to, he came in at half time and he said something to Boldy and Boldy went fucking talking about, I'm fucking doing this. And he's <laughs> swearing at George. My, my jaw hit the ground. And then I thought, geez, and then George, the, the boss just went, okay, okay, Boldy, okay. <laughs> and then he said, Nigel, Nigel, what the fucking Nigel, me, what the fuck are you going to blame me for? And I was, honestly, I swear to God, Andrew, I was literally in shock. <laughs> but the point I'm making is that he was very much, um, a disciplinarian and you couldn't really get away with anything with him but you you, you still he, you, there was still scope to be able to say what you wanted to say but the respect and the respect to what the guys have got for George you see it come out yeah. in that show you know what I mean he was somebody that you could easily hate and easily love it was perfect how a manager should be sure I mean I guess there is that thing isn't there that you can be a disciplinarian but you can still treat people and talk to people like they're adults and not like they're exactly. children exactly yeah, exactly. Oh, no, oh, no. He had his he had his moments where you'd think to yourself, God, he's, he's treating him pretty poorly. I thought he was he's really harsh on Davo um, when when we got there because I think what happened was he gave Davo a, um, a testimonial, and I think somewhere along the line Davo mentioned the fact that we're going a bit too direct for him, and it was mm. didn't suit him, and this and that, and he, he left him out. He left him out for about a year <laughs> and a bit, and he, the, the next four games he played. This is why he doesn't hold a grudge or anything. The, next, the four games he brought him back for was, I think, was Tottenham at Wembley mm. when we beat them. Um, I think that um, he brought him back for the League Cup final, um, the final, and the, and, the, and, the, and the replay. So yeah. he brought him back for the, three, for the four biggest games <laughs> of the season. So he doesn't hold stuff against you. He will play the team that's going to help him to win. Sure. So how are you feeling about things uh, as we uh, head towards this weekend? I know that um, we were trying to make contact after the, uh, after the AGM and everything else yes. and never, never yes. managed to do that. But that was, um, that was a bit of a shambles, right? Well, it was, it, it wasn't something that I was too surprised about. I'm, I'm very, I was surprised that Stan Kroenke even came. Um, it didn't surprise me that he was trying to buy out the whole, all of the, buy the rest of the shares. So then, you know what I mean, from Usmanov, and I was terrified about that because I'm thinking Usmanov's had enough. He's got, mm. half, a, he's got half a billion quid wrapped up in the club, 30%, 30, 30% share, whatever he's got, and he can't, even, he can't even get on the board. Why would you want your money stuck there when you can get it out and do something else with it? And I was more worried that he would say, I'll just sell him, sell him, so, so as I could just get out and let him get on with doing what he's doing. So then Kroenke has total control of our club, which would be, I think, a disaster. You, you, the embarrassment that of the chips, you know, what I mean, you know, it's, 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 I'm so embarrassed about what happened there. You know, you got people like Henry Winter and all the journalists with John Cross saying how just disdain how he, what he, how he treated this lady who's asking him a perfectly decent question mm. about diversity and stuff. And you know, just to see and hear that happening. Andrew, and see the lack of leadership that we've got on the pitch and the way we are, the accountability. We've got an owner sitting there with chips going, 
absolutely off his crazy off his mind talking shit. And, and instead of the owner speaking up and saying, hang on a minute, let me just let me just say something. Yeah. A bit of respect. Say something. Let us let us say to, oh, hang on a minute, Stan's intervened there. Whoa, he does care. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely nothing, Andrew. And so that that's why the, the point I'm making is is I'm so happy that um that through the grapevine you hear that Usmanov is not gonna sell them to him because I just I'm not sure if people realise the enormity of what will happen if Usmanov does get all the shares and he's then able to just buy out everybody else for the twenty eight grand, whatever it's gonna cost him yeah. for each of the shares that the rest of the people have got, because then he doesn't have to have an AGM. He doesn't even have to come here. He's not interested as it is. So yeah. it just it just feels it just feels like, you know, we're we're just floating in the in the sea. You, with no port. Do, do you see some of the stories? I mean, we've been linked with a new guy from Dortmund ahead of scouting. There's, you know, talk of a guy coming in from Barcelona to be like a football executive. There was talk of Mark Overmars coming back in, perhaps. And these names are starting to float around. Do you get any sense from talking to anybody that there's there's substance to these stories that perhaps during this two years of Arsene Wenger, um, you know, the, the perhaps the final two years, although you you, you couldn't say that with any surety, uh, mm-hmm. that, that perhaps they are beginning to make plans and put in place structures which will allow the uh, the club to, to move forward in the future when Arsene Wenger does go. Well, I think that they they should be doing that, Andrew, if I'm going to be totally honest. The, the word on the street is that the boss is not really keen on somebody maybe being there and overseeing what he's doing or telling him what players he's He's going to buy. I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know, Andrew. But I'm just hearing exactly what you're hearing. Yeah. Names are flying about. It's, we've got to move with the times. If that's what's got to happen, if that's what everybody's doing, then surely we have got to be moving with the times as well, especially as we're not in a, in a position where it's like it's going so brilliantly that we don't need to, to have a, a director of football. Whatever we want to name him because it upsets the boss to say that he's got a director of football. Mm. You know, whatever we've got to name, we just need somebody who's there who's on the football side is going to help because you just look around it, Andrew, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people that are football people in and around there. And this is why yeah. when the AGM, it was still down to Arsene Wenger, and God bless him, to actually put a little bit of class and dignity on the whole thing with his, you know, with his love for the club and talking about the club and in a football manner. And there's no one else who does it. We yeah. need more people like that, whether the boss wants them there or not. We need to start building that because it just at the moment when uh, when, you, when you when I think of the club it does feel like we're just a little bit we're, we're just a little bit stuck. We're just, what are we doing? Yeah. I don't know what we're doing at the moment. We're, we, we you know we play we got Tottenham. You know what I mean hopefully we'll beat Tottenham, but then we got Burnley and then I think we've got Huddersfield we'll probably beat them. Then we got Man United. What we're we going to lose against them? We, it seems like everything's already set how we play and what yeah. we do. It's 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 quite. It's, it's um, demoralising, for want of a better word, not knowing that, you know what, yeah, we're going we're gonna to beat Tottenham, then we're going to beat these two teams, Burnley and others, because we're meant to, then we're going to beat Man United because we're going to start getting back up the league and we're starting to challenge City. You know, we're, what, we're t- I think the goal difference between us, what, 27 goals, I think, yeah. with 13 points. It's too much. Are we challenging? I don't no. even know if we're challenging. No. So it's very demoralising for the fans. I think the boss needs help. Something needs to happen because you always feel, Andrew, like we're one game or one poor performance away from everybody just the shit's hitting the fan again. Sure, I it's agree. Just, with you. It's, it's very, it's very, it's, it's just, 
I don't know. It just makes me feel very anxious. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I agree with you. Particularly going into this weekend, you know, a game against Tottenham. Yeah, oh God. You I, know, I'm so Andrew. The thing is, Andrew, sorry to interrupt. No, you. I ahead. get so fucking nervous <laughs> with the Tottenham, with the North London derby as it is. Yeah, but going into it with Tottenham, with everything was, you know, it's almost like, you know, everything's so lovely and pretty and beautiful in their garden, and our garden is just full of fucking weeds and Chinese knotweed. <laughs> whatever it is you know it just feels like fuck why is everything so brilliant for you lot at the moment where we nothing's happening for us they've got a new stadium they've got a manager that everybody loves they've got young players who are doing brilliantly everything's going well you know what I mean it's, mm. they, you know they seem to be progressing and we seem to be fucking regressing at the minute so it's just I, I said in a column we just I, I just want us to win this game and I'll deal with everything else after that sure. but is is this game then a chance to you know if we are if things are you know so great in the Tottenham Garden and not so great in our garden you know we win this game and we're just a point behind them and yeah. it is perhaps a chance to 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 reignite our season and to yeah. get some confidence and belief. I mean, you, you know, you've played in plenty of North London derbies. I mean, do you think there's... I mean, I remember the one last year, the, the one at home last year. It was so yeah. flat, the game. It was so tepid, yeah. the performance. I mean, do you think there's enough guys in that in that dressing room who know how big this game is, not just on its own merits, not just the fact that it's Tottenham, but this particular season and these particular circumstances, it could have such a positive effect, but, you know, if it goes yeah. the other way, it could it could be really damaging. Uh, Andrew, I think it's then down to, you know, it's down to people like Jack, Aaron Ramsey, people like, people like that who know mm. now, because Sheldon, he's, he's ingrained in it. Bellerin's been there long enough. He's mm. ingrained. You know, we've got players... Players that have been at the club for long enough now to know what this means. You know, it's a whole different time to when we played. And I'm not going to try and um, compare how we were um, in the dressing room to how these guys are. Because when you're talking about someone like Tony Adams, he was frightening to look at Derby Day five, ten minutes before you went out. Merson. Rowcastle, you know, Thomas, Davis, all those people who came up through the ranks playing against Tottenham, hating Tottenham, knowing what it means to the fans not to lose to Tottenham. And let's I keep telling people, when I, when I signed for Arsenal, me and Davies was, was, was in, in his house till four in the morning, Andrew. Mm. All we was talking about was how important it is not to lose against Tottenham. Mm. We do not lose against Tottenham. Now you say, what will this do? Andrew... The fact is, yes, we'll be a point behind. But when you look at us in the grand scheme of things, we seem like we're way behind everybody. You know, yes, we'll be a point behind. And yes, I feel we'll beat Burnley. And yes, we'll beat Huddersfield. But now I don't. What will happen when we come up against the Manchester United? Are we going to do what we do? We'll beat Tottenham. We, who knows? Are we even going to beat Burnley who, who, who are going to cause us problems like they did last year? We got yeah. a fortunate win up there. You know, Huddersfield who, who beat Man United up there. I know he's going to be at the Emirates. But they're going to love coming to the Emirates. It's not going to be diff- it's not going to be an easy game. And then you've got Man United with Mourinho and Wenger stuff. So it might give us a, a little bit of something, you know, where you just need the chink of light sure. to maybe see if the guys can use it to to kick on. Because I t- I just feel that it could be something that will give just let the, just let us know that yes, we can beat one of them teams. Beat them well. Of mm. course, you want to beat them, but beat them well so then they can get confidence from that and, and try and kick on. Because as we speak, Andrew, I'm not confident that we'll finish in the top four. That's why I believe the Europa League 
I, we've got. I know this team's going to be coming from the Champions League, but we've got to blast for that. Yeah. I really do genuinely believe we've got to have a blast for that. Yeah. Win something else apart from the FA Cup or the League Cup. But win something else. The next progression, which for me is the Europa League, if we can't win the Premier League, which I don't think we can the way City are playing. No. And then get back in the Champions League, maybe get some players to want to come to our club again. And, you know, it just seems very... Um, what word am I looking for, Andrew? It just seems dour. I just feel very negative at sure. the moment because there's not much to look forward to apart from us beating Tottenham right now. Yeah. Well, that, that, that'd be a good start. Um, how, how important are Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez to doing what we need to do on Saturday and doing what we'd like us to do for the rest of this month? How do you view their season so far? I mean, there have been some mitigating circumstances, obviously injuries yeah. coming back late, but you know, regardless of, regardless of what their intentions are in the future, they, yeah. still, they still owe the club right now performances, Absolutely. don't they? Absolutely, and I think that you look at you looked at um, Alexis Sanchez against City, and he just looked like this figure. He's trying, he's trying, he's trying, but the, the guy's mind—it's not right. That's not the Alexis Sanchez what we signed. He's—you he's, could see Andrew—he's not happy. Mm. That's not the Alexis Sanchez that we saw. That was just vibrant and effervescent, and just fucking just playing unbelievable stuff. He, he, he's somebody that he, he gets it now. He tries. He's almost trying too hard. I always felt that he keeps hold of the ball sometimes too long, Andrew. I think he's doing that even more now. And the problem that we've got with him when he's doing that now, he's fucking upset when he loses. He's not doing that. He's, his arms are fucking flailing now. And he's mm. fucking, come up and help me fucking close down, for Christ's sake. He seems to have the ump. Mm. That's not how he used to play. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I, just, I, I feel for him and I don't feel for him. I love him and I hate him because <laughs> I, I love him because I fucking want him to stay. Yeah. I hate him because I don't think he wants to stay. And Urzil, in respect of Urzil, Urzil, he always looks the same to me. He, when you look at when, the way he played against City, you know what I mean? He, he, the way he played for, for Germany the other day against England, it just fucking, it was like he's a Rolls Royce. The geezer's a Rolls Royce, Andrew. Yeah. You watch him against France. Fucking, it, it, it's just, are we not playing him right? I would, is, 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 it, is, it, is it Arsene Wenger? Is he not playing him right or something to not get the best out of him? Because his demeanour, when he plays for Germany, it looks the same. He doesn't look like he's fucking busting a gut anymore. No. He just seems to have more time on the ball, more space, more options. He fucking looks awesome. He always looks so good. <laughs> and it's frustrating because I think that if that's the case, they will play to... to to, 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 as well as they can play with who's on there with them. Yeah, I think that I think Alexis is just frustrated with players around him. That's why I think constantly say he only passes to uh, he only passes to Özil or yeah, Özil yeah, yeah. only passes to him. You know, some of the times you watch that, and you know, I've watched it, and like me and Shearer have been watching it sometimes. He said, "Look at them two, you're fucking passing to each other." <laughs> but we don't do, we don't say it on Match of the Day because we said, "Out, you fucking don't say that on Match of the Day," <laughs> right? But the fact is, you watch them, and they, you do feel there's a certain time, especially with Alexis, where he doesn't seem to let go of the ball to certain people yeah. as, as readily as he does with Mezu. Now, whether he thinks that that's the only way that they're going to be able to break down teams, it's only if them two do it. I don't know, but in respect of both of them, as long as they are just giving the, the best that they can give for us, whether they leave in January or, or, or not, as long as they're giving the best for us up until that point, I, I, I'm, I'm honest, I don't care if the both of them leave in mm. January. And we, we, have to, we have to start again and, and go again and start to 
maybe get in this director of football, whoever it is, or somebody who's going to get us the players there where we can, a Colosinac, somebody you feel is like, He's, he, he will run through a wall yeah. if, with, with the right player. He will, he will, we need more players like that. And if it means we have to get rid of those two, who both of them seem to me like they don't want to be there, um, then I'd, I'd rather us start again from wherever we're going to start from and, and go with players who get it, who want to do it. And, and, and then, you know, we need recruitment from people who are going to convince people to come to our club and say, listen, we need you to take us back to where we are. We will get there, but we need players like you, whether it's Lamar or Fakir, whoever it is. Mm. You know what I mean? We need somebody to be able to go to them and say, listen, we're having a blip with what's going on, and whatever, however they want to say it. But you know, even if I had to go to Andrew and talk to him and then cry, please come. <laughs> Anything to get these players to realise, because our club is too big and too great, Andrew, for us to be languishing in and around where we're, we're going to be. Because... At the end of the day, all the people I see, they do not feel like they're finishing the top four. You feel like if the rest of the guys um, have got another gear to go to, you know, we've got a manager who's not even fucking playing like a Z against City. I couldn't believe that. Uh, yeah, that was mad, wasn't it? I thought that was mad. It's just, you, you think to yourself, what is Lacazette thinking? What is he thinking, Andrew? Because he's thinking, hang on a minute. What would you be I mean, thinking? What would you be thinking if you were the club record signing, a, a striker brought in to score the goals, and in a big game away from home again, you were left on the bench? Would you be doubting the manager's faith in you? Then you look at the two best players in the club who want to leave. Of course you are, because you think, hang on a minute. The two, he wants to leave. He wants to leave. He's playing up front. I'm on the bench. I cost 50 million quid. I can't get in the team in front of somebody who wants to leave. He's throwing his arms up in the air. Andrew, you're thinking to yourself, I've got to fucking phone my agent here and find out what the <laughs> fuck's going on here. You, if if, if yeah. Lapazette's not thinking, if he's not thinking that, I pray to God he's not thinking that, but if he's not thinking that, or if somebody at least not telling him that, Andrew, mm. I'd be very surprised. Well, his agent did come out after the game, after the City game, and said, look, it's normal. We understand, of course, he'd like to play. But, you know, after 11 league games, you've got the agent coming out and having to deal with those kind of stories. I think that says something exactly. about the situation, doesn't it? But, well, Andrew, it just doesn't make sense. You know, especially when you've got somebody who came on. You saw what he'd done when he came on. Half a chance. Yeah. We're not going to have a lot of ball against City. Half a chance. You need somebody who's going to take it. Is exactly what he done. Mm. He took half a chance. You know, it's a perfect opportunity. The way Alexis Sanchez played, he's done a couple of nice things. If you want to make a point, you play Lacazette. Play somebody else who wants to play and show. I, I, I don't care. I'll just run. I'm not as good as you. I'm going to fucking run my bollocks off and work my, work my ass off mm. for the team. And then get people like Lacazette to score like he did. And all of a sudden, you've got... You've got You've got somebody who says, listen, at least the boss knows. At least I know that the boss will pick me. You know what I mean? He's not going to take the shit what he's giving him at the moment and still play him. Yeah. Watching him flailing his arms and stuff like that. If I'm Lacazette, you have to be thinking, what, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Well, look, hopefully hopefully he uh, he gets the nod on Saturday. Can't I just can't envisage any situation where he wouldn't, uh, apart from another mad uh, selection decision. But if, look... If, <laughs> If he doesn't play on if he doesn't play on Saturday, then everything that comes towards the, the boss, he has to take. Yeah, yeah. If for he sure. doesn't start in this particular game, I can't understand then what's going mm. on. I saw Lacazette, Ozil, and Sanchez against Everton, and yes, Everton are poor at the minute, but there was something. Yeah. Some, I saw something. Something happened. 
You know, so why isn't that? Why isn't why isn't he starting? That's the best he could start. Yeah. If you ask, me. that's the best he could start, Andrew. If he doesn't start it, I honestly don't know what the boss is doing. All right. Well, look, um, we'll, we'll keep fingers crossed for that. Just very quickly before we let you go, and uh, you're you're part of uh, a new campaign for Cartoon yeah, Network, an anti-bullying campaign. Give us some info yeah. on that. Well, what it is, and I was very very privileged to be asked to be the front of it. Um, I got. You know, I mean, I've been involved for a couple of years in a cartoon network. It's be a buddy, not a bully. Um, it's about kids and bullying and not suffering in silence. You know, we've got child child lines involved. What we want, Andrew, is we want people to understand that it's, it's never okay to bully. We've got to, you never know the people who are bullying themselves. They've got problems themselves. Even they can phone child line with their own problems. But what we want people to understand is that there is people to talk to. You must speak to somebody. You can't suffer in silence. Just let people know what's going on. Because that, that's, what, that's what happens, Andrew. When people start referring, going in their room, and all of a sudden they get themselves on social media, then it all starts again. And that's even more silence because no one knows what's going on. You need those kids to be able to speak to somebody, teacher, mum, dad, brother. Tell somebody what's going on. Is there a website people can look at? Yes, it's um, cartoonnetwork.co.uk, be a buddy, not a bully. All right, good stuff. And uh, let's keep everything crossed for Saturday and for the rest of this month. Uh, We're going to beat them, man. Andrew, we're going to beat them because it's very difficult for me to think of us losing to Tottenham. So I just look here and think, we will beat Tottenham. And Mauricio Postino's never beaten us there. So I'm just going off at the back of that. All right. As sad as that might be. All right. Well, I'm taking some comfort from that. And the fact that a couple of people I know are are placing money on Tottenham and they're generally bad betters. So there's the two things that that might make us happy. Ian, thanks as ever. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Pleasure, Andrew. I'll speak to you soon. Ian Wright, ladies and gentlemen, I think you can feel the passion for the North London Derby in that conversation. So let's hope our players can rise to the occasion on Saturday, tomorrow, uh, when we face that lot at home. A win would be just the ticket, I think you would say. Stand by for your chance to win a copy of Jens Lehmann's book right after this. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What a magic indeed. Right. Your chance to win a copy of Jens Lehmann's book. It is called Jens Lehmann, My Autobiography, The Madness is on the Pitch. It's uh, published by De Coubertin Books or De Coubertin, I'm not sure, uh, but they're the publishers. They've very kindly given us five copies of the book to give away. And the question is quite simple, right? We signed Jens Lehmann from Borussia Dortmund. What I want to know is which Italian club did Jens Lehmann play for in his career? Which Italian club did Jens Lehmann play for? All you have to do to enter the competition is send me an email, competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. Give me your name, give me your address, and give me the answer, the correct answer, of course. Put Jens Lehmann competition in the uh, subject line, uh, and that will make it easier for me to, uh, to find your emails. So there you go. We have five copies of the book to give away. Uh, We'll give you the five winners on next week's Arscast. You have until, I guess, Thursday uh, to get your entries into competition at arsblog.com. Right, joining me now on the show to discuss the North London Derby in a bit more detail, I'm delighted to welcome back Clive Palmer. You'll know him from the Arsenal Vision podcast if you listen to that, where he is very often the cool, calm voice of reason. Hi, Clive. I'm not sure I can keep up with that tonight. I'm not sure I'll be that cool. I'll give it a go. All right. Okay. Well, look, I'm not. I'm not going to wind you up uh, or anything. Um, but but we're going into a North London derby off the back of a disappointing result against Manchester City. Um. Has there been time maybe for the manager to take stock over the course of the international break to think about how he approached the game against City and how he's going to approach this one tomorrow or or on Saturday? City was a strange one, wasn't it? Mm. I thought, um, we didn't quite... Do, that was a classic handbrake, Arsenal. We didn't quite get smashed. We didn't quite go for it. We could look at the statistics afterwards and think, well, we weren't too far away. But in reality, despite the refereeing decisions, we all know there's a gap there. There's a gap on quality and there's a gap in our expectations now, which is probably even more harder for us to manage, right? So... Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those games when actually the international break, normally we lose pre-international break, it's sort of quite traumatising. But this one is almost, that, that one's out of the way. Does it really count? Let's focus on the next one and the next one we, we know all about. Mm, the the bone of contention on um, one of the last Arsenal Vision podcasts was the, the team selection at Manchester City and the fact that he didn't play Alexandra Lacazette, um, which I, I found a, an odd decision. I know there were uh, people who could try and rationalise it, and I could see that point of view, but you know, just from a very basic point of view, when you go into a game against a big team, you want your best striker on the pitch, and he is our, our, our best striker. Now, at his press conference this week, Wenger said there's no issue. I, I completely trust Alexandra Lacazette, but I, I, I do wonder about that a little bit. Um, how did you just to go back over that one? How did you view the the decision at City, and do you see any situation um, for this weekend's game where he won't start him? I think he has to start him this week. But funny enough, I did sort of guess mm. that he might not start him at City, and purely because he's a he's a low touch player, he doesn't have much to do to build up. Although I think he's quite a good sort of defensive player from up front. I'm not sure if Wenger quite trusted him. And maybe there's a bigger point here. Maybe he felt it was easier to drop Lacazette than it was to drop 
Ozil or Sanchez. So we're back to the the pre-Liverpool issues where mm. we have a team to pick and we're not picking on what we're seeing. We're picking on all the intangibles surrounding the players, the contracts, lack of confrontation from the manager. And all these things are debatable points because in truth, Andrew, we just don't quite trust him in the same way as we used to. If this was 15 years ago and he was introducing a, a forward from France into our team and he was playing in 50, 60 minutes, but we were winning trophies, we'd all say, what a great guy this is. He's so far ahead of his time. Yeah. The thing is now we've got a bigger sample size of disappointment. We can look at things with far more information and we can say, well, actually, there's a trend going on here where we are not actually improving players. And I've got a big thing going on in my mind at the moment where I feel that for us to be attractive, we have to ensure that people trust their careers to us. And I think Lacazette's a big part of our future, a big part of our recruitment strategy going forward. And we really need to make him feel good rather than some of the players we're trying to make feel good who have not committed to us on contracts. Hmm. How, how do you view what Wenger is doing or how he's changed over the last couple of years? Because for a long time, there was a criticism that he didn't, let's say, tailor his tactics to the opposition. There was criticism that he was um, maybe a one-note manager in the sense that he only had one way of playing, that when he went to the big teams away from home, the only thought in his mind was to go for it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it didn't work very, very spectacularly. And he's changed a bit over the last couple of years where he has picked teams. You think of the one at Chelsea, for example, with Iwobi in the side, a bit of a surprise. Um, And it has worked from time to time. But personally, I feel it doesn't, like he's not necessarily convinced by the things that, you know, he's trying to do. I still have an issue with the back three. I don't think he really believes in it. Um, and it, mm. it has an effect. I think there was that in, in the, the Manchester City game as well, where it was a cautious approach. And I'm not sure that he can really do caution as well as he would like to do it or as well as he people would want him to do it. So on the one hand, you have, OK, well, he has at least changed his approach a little bit. But I don't know that it's been any more or less effective. I think uh, he's trying to manage a, a drop-off in quality, to be honest. Mm. He's the back, the back three for me is a formation that really suits this group. But when I ask myself why, why does it suit this group? Well, we've got centre-halves that are not quite dominant enough in the two, so a three helps them. We've got full-backs or wing-backs that are not really good at recovering, but they're great energy up and down, so the back three suits them. We've got two centre-midfielders who are a bit immobile. One is very ambitious going forward, and one is not very athletic defensively. So a back three behind them gives them a sense of comfort, so it suits them. We've got two sort of number 10s um, that are very talented, that are a bit hard to sort of manage. So you put them within this structure and it sort of suits them. Mm. And we've got a single centre forward and we can debate that centre forward, but we all know who the best one is. So the structure sort of suits this group. And really, modern football is moving more towards a, a 4-3-3 shape where you have you know a back four, three in centre midfield to control that area, and three forwards, you know, wide forwards, uh, similar to what Man City tried to do. And what PSG do, what Barcelona do. And that's where we need to evolve to. So he's using this formation to get us to a next place. But then I ask myself, why are we in this place? And it is down to the quality of player that we have, um, the quality of players or our purchases. We haven't quite hit the mark, right? So so I feel that Wenger's always been a manager based on 
flow, passing patterns and pace of pass and quality in the last third. We have some quality players. We don't quite have the midfield quality to enable that flow to be sustainable sure. on a regular basis. Do you, and that's our big issue, really, Andrew. Right. I mean, do, but do you feel like, I mean, I, do, I certainly don't feel like the back three was a way of uh, transitioning to a new formation. I feel like the back three was simply because he had to do something to change the mindset of the team when it was in that terrible rut last season and uh, you know it, it worked but it hasn't made us any more defensively secure I do see what you're saying about centre halves and, and perhaps we don't have the two centre halves we would like to have but you know I, I, I've been banging on about this for a while I feel like midfield is our big problem um, we leave Xhaka very isolated. I think one of the things that came out during the week was he's made more misplaced passes than, than anybody else in the Premier League this season. The other side of that statistic was that he's made almost more passes than uh, every other midfielder in the Premier League, more more successful passes. So we have this like weird thing where he's isolated. The back three is like not any more defensively solid than it should be. And what we've got are two great potential fullbacks and a, a weakness in midfield which we could solve if the manager put a bit of faith in a back two like for example uh, Koscielny and Mustafi where he could drop an extra body into that midfield whether it's Kokolam, whether it's Elneny whether it's Jack Wilshire to sit in there with Ramsey and Xhaka I think uh, I think the back three was a was a make-do formation but what can you do to make it a little bit better and I think you could tweak it slightly so Rather than do a, a three four two one, he could he can go three five two. So you still get a back three, but you have three in centre midfield and you have two forwards. And given our away record, it's something I'd like to see away from home, particularly where we can get a bit disconnected if people put us under pressure. So the, the argument about three in midfield, we can we can fix that in a three five two. But really, you are saying the emphasis is moving forward to being up front as well. So. You don't get an isolated centre forward and you don't get the distances in centre midfield that we consistently see just because of the styles of the players that we have. Mm. We have we have Ramsey, very athletic, very forceful at pushing forward and that's what he really wants to do. When there's a, there's a fraction of a second to move, break forward, he's taking that shot, he's he's gambling. And Shaka, who's, who's great sitting in the pocket, but when he plays for Switzerland, as we saw in the break, he has a very athletic minder next to him so when he does get caught he has somebody next to him Vieira type player to really track his movements and and cover his lack of athleticism it's quite interesting to watch the internationals and see players that we watch being used in different ways by their managers and I think sometimes we expose our players and we overexpose them on their weaknesses Mm. We ask Shaka, we ask Shaka to do too much running yeah we ask Ramsey to cover too many spaces we are, and when Ramsey goes forward, we then ask Ozil to do Ramsey's defending. And so we are really not getting the best out of some key players that he's invested in. And I think when we talk about the Spurs manager at the moment, one of the things that people are eulogising over is that he's improving his players on his watch. He has a system in place that can even make Eric Dyer look good, right? <laughs> so, if he's doing that, he's a genius, right? So, um, yeah. and that's and that's how it, that's how he's building his system. That's how he's building his club. Yeah, and that's how he's building a new aura for that mm. club. It's hard to say that, but it's, it's true. Yeah, it. Um, I don't know if you saw the Ireland game during the week. 
Um, I did. You did. So you would have seen what happened when Christian Eriksen was given time and space uh, in, in the center of midfield, even with the best will in the world. I think you're, you know, you're right. People can have issue with Jack all they like, but we leave him so isolated. Uh, you know, not not simply when players are coming forward or when we're having to defend, but also when we're in possession. Very often he's isolated. I think that has contributed to his misplaced passing. I know some of it has been carelessness as well. I, I, I accept that. But, I, you know, I worry about the the time and space that Christian Eriksen might be able to find. And when there's someone like Harry Kane up front, a guy who scored in every single Premier League game he's, he's played against Arsenal, I think he's six goals in five Premier League games, that's that's the real worry for me. Arsene Wenger was asked, do, do you have a specific plan for Harry Kane? He said, yeah, well, you know, keep him quiet. Uh, but much of that will depend on on cutting off the supply lines. And given our midfield issues, that, that's where I have some concerns going into this one. <laughs> You're not the only one. I read an article once saying Arsenal play football without a safety net. And we basically play a one-man midfield. And we have players all moving around that one man. And then our midfield is almost... It's almost based on recovery. We recover into that space if mm. we lose the ball and we recover at speed. And so that's a very risky strategy. And when it works, as it did in the cup final beautifully, it's great. And we all say, well, how, do, how do great it was to push Chelsea back that way and dominate the game. When it doesn't work, when Shaka gets pressed and if you were Pochettino, what would you do this weekend? You'd wait till Shaka gets the ball on the half turn and you would sprint at him mm. and try and dispossess him because you, you know all his mates are showing him his shorts, right? So that's the that's the issue that we have. So basically, a lot of teams have been picking us off in their own half and getting us to lose possession there. And one, two passes and in, like at Stoke, like at Everton. Those are the vulnerabilities that we have. And that is basically Tottenham's game. They work off mistakes. They work off people's mistakes in their half. They play away from their goal. They hit the balls hard to our box and they're quite physical and they're our front foot team. And we play football sometimes in the wrong areas, which is perfect target practice for Tottenham's presses in midfield to really take the ball off us, I'm afraid. Mm. Okay, well, look. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 yeah, I'm not cheering you up, am I? No, you're definitely not cheering me up at all. I don't think you're cheering anyone up. But look, let's, let's try and flip it around a little bit in the sense that uh, we, we do have some attacking potency and we saw against Everton and I know it was a poor Everton side, but we saw perhaps what uh, Ozil, Lacazette and Sanchez can contribute when they do click, and they did click on that day, and it wasn't simply because Everton were bad, it was because we also played really, really well. Uh, you know, we're not going to get that same amount of time from Tottenham, we're not going to get that same amount of space from Tottenham, but if if we are going to win this game, it, it's got to be from that front three. Do you have any concerns, and I asked Ian Wright about this a little bit earlier on, you know, do you have any concerns about the two players uh, Ozil and Sanchez in terms of what they've contributed so far this season or do you see perhaps some mitigating circumstances in the sense that Sanchez has come back a bit late and you know he, he didn't uh, he didn't have a full preseason Ozil's had an injury or two you know they haven't been in the team together a lot you know do you have concerns about them this season uh, so far or do you feel like okay now that all that stuff is out of the way you know they're ready to kick on I, I don't see them ready to kick on. I see two players that are really 
thinking about their own contractual situation and thinking about Ozil for the World Cup. I see him modelling the Germany kit the other day, so that that tells me where his mind is. And can I get to World Cup in one piece? It's it's just a shame, really, that we're even debating this. Our two flagship players, they're not committed to us. And in some ways, they make the club look smaller for it. And um, they slow us down on a direction point of view. They don't make us look attractive. They make I don't like to see players running to get out the door. You know, I always say I want to see players crying to leave Arsenal. So, so that tells me there's something something wrong there. And then what it does it puts debate in selection. And uh, everything is wrapped up this weekend in things that we, we're not sure about. We're not sure what Alexis Sanchez is going to show up. We're not sure what Ozil's going to show up. We're not sure if Wenger's going to play both of them. Mm. We have our record signing. We're not sure if he's going to play him. We've got other players like Jack Wilshere and Iwobi that are pushing close. We're not sure if he quite trusts them. And so it's a very unsure situation. And none of it screams, I know what you're doing. I can see something growing here. I can see forward progress. And as a fan myself, I don't, I don't demand that we win every game. The only thing I really hope for is I can see some form of progression year on year. And when you have managers been there 20, 21 years, you would, you would hope you could keep us progressing every single year. And that's what all I hope for, really. And um, we're not seeing that, right? And so we're looking very vulnerable from a, um, a strategy point of view. Mm. Even though there are some rumblings around some changes in the club, we're still not convinced of some of the changes that we're seeing. We're just sitting here waiting for them. All right. Well, look, uh, Clive, we'll keep fingers crossed that perhaps the worst case scenario that we're, we're considering here doesn't come to pass uh, and that maybe we can get it together. You know, we can we can see something from this team and maybe it could be the game that could kick them on this this season. Um, yeah, I actually think we're going to win. You do? I think we're going to win. Okay. Yeah, I do think we're going to win. I think um, there are at home we're a different proposition than we are away. And I think we have to win. I think we have to show something. And um, I do think, you know, I look at the Tottenham team and for all the the aura around the press and all the good things that are happening to the club at the moment, I look at the names on the team sheet. They are still, not, you know, they're going to play a young Harry Winks in centre midfield. I want to see what he does. Dembele hasn't played many games this season. I want to see what he does. They've lost their best defender in the back three. I want to see what Dyer does in the back three with with uh, with Sanchez. It's his first North London derby. Aurier could be his first North London derby. So there's there's a lot there that's not quite sure, right? So it all depends on the efficiency of, of their forwards, which they, which they have got a very efficient forward. But then it comes back to what we do as well. And uh, I think if we can get our flow going, we can get our pace of pass going and make it a technical game and not a physical running game, I think we've got a great chance to beat them. I actually think we're going to win by one or two goals. All right. Well, look. Uh, I'm well. I'm. I feel uh, happier now, slightly more cheery than I did <laughs> <laughs> for the duration of that conversation. Uh, listen. Let's hope you're banging on the money there, Clive. Thanks very much. Thank you. Clive is on Twitter at Clive P A F C. That is at Clive P A F C, and you can listen to him on a weekly basis on the Arsenal Vision podcast, which I do recommend. Right. I don't know that there's much left to say about tomorrow's game. It is one of those which could really change the trajectory of this season. 
It really could. It could just embolden the team, fill them with confidence, set them on the right path over the next couple of weeks. You know, we could be a point behind Tottenham. They lose a game. We beat Burnley and Huddersfield. You know, you're you're above them. And, and the, the feeling changes. It does have an impact on how you feel and how you view the team and what it's capable of. We lose this game. And, you know, it just adds to the worries that many of us have already. So I'm keeping fingers crossed that that is not the case. I don't want to consider the worst case scenario. I want to think about us doing well. I want to think about Robert Perez scoring goals. I want to think about Thierry Henry running the length of the pitch to celebrate a goal after running the length of the pitch to score it. I want to think about Dennis Bergkamp cracking in those goals. I want to think about that Bakary Sanya header. You know that one when we were 2-0 down and he went, fuck this, fuck it. I'm not having this, and he scored that header, and it sparked a comeback. I want to think about Thomas Rzitzki scoring goals against Tottenham. I want to think about beating Tottenham. That's all that this weekend is about, is about winning this game on Saturday morning and making sure that we're the ones that have a good, happy weekend, and they're the ones that are miserable. They're the ones that are starting to ask questions of themselves. These players have got the talent. They've got the ability but can they get it together to uh, to have one of those days where we do what we do well rather than do what we do badly well, if that makes sense. You know what I'm talking about. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra looking back. Hopefully, we'll have a goodly morning to talk about things that happened at the weekend. So we'll keep everything crossed. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Everybody remembers the Battle of Old Trafford, that famous game when Patrick Vieira got sent off and Rude Van Nistelrooy missed a very late penalty. When you look back at what an impact that would have had on our unbeaten season, you think to yourself, perhaps there is something to the idea of fate, that somehow this was our destiny. Who knows, some of you reading or listening to this now may have important things to do in the future that you don't even realize. Mine was to become part of a team which became invincible. But what if the Earth becomes a desolate, barren place and we have to leave this planet to continue the existence of the human race? Perhaps your children's children may, with the benefit of superior technology, discover an Earth-like planet in a different galaxy. They may also unlock the secrets of fusion reactors and faster-than-light travel, although Einstein might have a thing or two to say about that, and they will travel to this new world to copulate and repopulate. None of us know what lies ahead for us. Certainly when I was a young man growing up in Germany, listening to the musical stylings of Nina, Trio, and Annette Humper, 
I never dreamed I'd walk off a football pitch in Manchester calling a Dutch striker a horse-faced wanker before flicking his ear and sparking a mass brawl. I think fate was very kind to me. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.